Hello and welcome to a new podcast episode from HSBC in which we look at the exciting opportunities abound in the MENAT and Greater China Trade Corridor. Amongst our distinguished guests in this podcast are His Excellency Zhang Yiming, Chinese Ambassador in the UAE, as well as senior HSBC executives and industry experts. So welcome our regional MENAT CEO Stephen Moss to give us opening speech. Thank you. So firstly, sincere thanks to His Excellency Ambassador Zhang Yiming for being with us today and for the Chinese Business Council for helping us to organize such a distinguished collaboration in collaboration, obviously, with HSBC. Now, my name is Stephen Moss, and I'm the Regional Chief Executive for HSBC in the Middle East, North Africa, and Turkey. And thank you sincerely for being with us here today, as I say. Now, I know the business leaders in the audience are very interested in the economic opportunity that the MENAT China Trade Corridor represents. So the aim of today is to elaborate on the factors that we see driving the tremendous growth between the Middle East and China. We at HSBC like to think that our long experience and connections in both regions give us a very good insight to enable us to do so. As many of you know, HSBC's roots date back to 1865 when we were established in Hong Kong and Shanghai. And similarly, our origins in the Middle East are some equally time-honored and date back as far as 1889. So we are the international bank, and of course, I would say this, with a very significant, if not the largest presence in the MENAT region. We're in nine markets, in Algeria, in Bahrain, in Egypt, in Kuwait, in Oman, in Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and of course, the UAE. And we have the longest continuous presence in many of these markets. So historically, and this is why we're here today, China and the Middle East have clearly enjoyed very long-term and historic trade ties. Trade, technology, and infrastructure investment have been at the center of the Belt and Road Initiative. GCC China trade reached a record high and surpassed GCC trade with the US and the European Union combined for the first time in 2021. And trade between China and the UAE is also growing rapidly. His Excellency Yumin's tweet in February recounted trade volumes reaching a record high of 99.3 billion US dollars last year between the two nations, marking an increase of 37%. This is a number that we only expect to continue increasing at pace now that China has reopened post-COVID. China's pro-growth policies and the Middle East transformation agenda offer significant economic opportunities in international trade, investment, wealth, infrastructure, and energy transition. And connecting investors to these opportunities is what I would like to think that HSBC is really good at doing. So while oil trade is crucial to China GCC ties, it's also important to note that cooperation in non-oil sectors, particularly in renewables, is growing very significantly. The UAE's national energy strategy will see domestic renewable capacity rise by more than sevenfold by 2050. And we have a huge opportunity at HSBC and all of the businesses in this country to link one of the world's most dynamic energy, renewable energy investors to China, which in itself is the world's leading manufacturer of solar panels and in many subsectors that are key to electrification and electric vehicles. Based on our engagement with the COP28 team, and this is an aside, I have no doubt that the UAE will deliver an incredibly successful climate summit later this year, and ultimately a very successful energy transition with all of the economic opportunity that that will bring. Now, China has become the UAE's largest non-oil trading partner, 
while the UAE is China's second largest trading partner and the largest export market in the Arab region. So the main message to take away today is that with consumption and activity recovering faster than initially anticipated, and our own GDP forecast for China we've recently uh, increased, China is very much open and back for business. And with MENA's diversification drive, there is a very significant opportunity for all of us in terms of billions of dollars of trade and investment that will flow between China and the Middle East. And the advantage of HSBC's networking, clearly, I would say that we sincerely hope will help you unlock that. So our strategic presence in both China and the Middle East and our longstanding connections with key influencers and decision makers in the business communities in both regions is why we are well-placed to help clients navigate the very significant inbound and outbound opportunities. Now, we at HSBC held a roadshow to Asia Pacific in March this year where we visited clients and dignitaries in Hong Kong. We will be visiting mainland China in Q3 with members of our teams from the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and Egypt, as well as others. And we will continue to cut tap into these incredibly exciting and growing opportunities for our clients. So this is therefore very much the right time for us to come together to have meaningful conversations with you on how we can help you open up that world of opportunity between these two thriving regions. Now, today you'll hear more from the HSBC team during the panel discussion and in a presentation from Simon Williams, our chief economist, our HSBC senior economist for the region. So now I am delighted to invite His Excellency Ambassador Zhang Yiming, China's ambassador to the UAE, to say a few words. Thank you. Dear members of the Chinese Business Council in UAE, ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, I'm very happy and honored to be invited to attend today's uh, conference organized by HSBC Middle East. I can see this room is uh, fully booked up, which reflects to this enthusiasm and strong interest from the Chinese enterprises in UAE to further exploring the market in UAE and Middle East. So first of all, I would like to thank my friend Stephen Moss and your team for the well preparations and planning of today's event. HSBC as one of the largest global financial banking corporation has been developing in UAE more than 70 years. And you have already established or built up a very widely connections we have a, a big number of the excellent, high-quality clients, and we have established excellent credibility and reputation. And HSBC has become the, the largest, one of the largest foreign investment banks for UAE, for China, as well as many other countries. So congratulations. So today's event will enable us to exchange to learn from each other's strengths. I trust my colleagues, members of the Chinese Business Council in UAE will benefit to make the, the case for cooperation bigger and stronger and to better service joint construction of the Belt and Road Initiative between China and the UAE in the future. So I wish today's conference every success 
And I am looking forward to my colleagues, the members of the Chinese Business Council in UAE, will grasp this golden opportunity to learn insights from Mr. Simon Williams. And thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you uh, very much indeed, Grace and Excellency. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Simon Williams and I run HSBC's Economics Research on the Middle East, um, a region I've been covering for about 25 years um, or so. I am enormously grateful um, for the chance um, to speak to you. Um, I'm going to focus on what I see happening in the GCC region and I do want to bring out some of the challenges and the, the headwinds that I see the region passing through. But the message that I want to stress to you is that the Gulf um, as a whole, I think led by Saudi Arabia and the UAE especially, is passing through an exceptional period. You are sat in the UAE at a very, very special time, which I think brings with it enormous opportunities um, for, for all. And there are very few places in the world that can compare with the kind of growth rates um, that the Gulf has been generating, and I think it will continue to generate over the years ahead. Some of that comes from the oil sector, but what I really like about this phase of the, of the growth story in the region is just how strong, how resilient, how robust that non-oil growth story has proven to be. Sentiment, confidence, it's the, it's the secret sauce, it's the, the magic ingredient and for economic performance, and I see that confidence in, in, in abundance in the Gulf region. The kind of growth story which I see for the region over the coming year or so, well, I think it's domestically driven. That's part of my confidence um, about that outlook. Part of it's about consumption uh, and the kind of consumption growth that we've had, and uh, really since the end of COVID, has been remarkably strong. They are the, the spending numbers that I see in three of the major markets across the Gulf, and you can see just how rapidly uh, household outlays have grown. I think underpinning um, that very strong outlook for consumption is a labour market, which is very strong uh, as well. Demand um, for employment is very high, as labour demand rises, it brings new nationals into the workforce. It also brings new expatriates into the workforce as well and feeding through into strong levels of consumption. Alongside um, that strong um, outlook for consumption, I think there is also a very, very um, strong outlook um, for investment. We've all heard a lot about the region's big plans for infrastructure development, for investment in industry and manufacturing, in housing, but for all of the talk um, that we've had so far, for all of the planning that's been done, we are really still just at the beginning of that, that investment cycle. So we have a growth story which is strong, a growth story which has momentum and which is primarily domestically driven and well protected. My enthusiasm for the regional outlook is also about how well balanced that growth story is. And there are a few things that I first check uh, when I'm trying to, to look for, for vulnerabilities to gauge how well balanced a growth story is. The first is inflation. Inflation, a huge problem um, across the rest um, of the world over the last couple of years. But in the Gulf region, well, prices have picked up a little, um, but inflation is amongst the lowest you will see anywhere in the developed and emerging world, despite the very strong growth rates that the region is is delivering alongside stable prices and there are also very stable public finances this was the kind of budget performance and um, fiscal performance 
that the region was delivering until recently some significant shortfalls. But last year um, and for this year and for next year, I see significant budget surpluses um, ahead. Those surpluses matter um, because it means policymakers in the region, they've got room for manoeuvre. There are fiscal levers um, they can pull if they need to. Critically, um, it also means this is the part of the world that is not dependent on access to global markets. They are contributors to, not drawers from, global liquidity, and that shields um, the Gulf against some of the market volatility which has been so troublesome for other parts of the world. Alongside stable prices and stable public finances, um, there is also a stable external account. The the kind of current account performance, I'm looking trade-driven surpluses with the outside world. Well, they were quite good up until 2021. Over last year, this year and next year, they have got better. Still a $1.2 trillion cumulative um, current account surplus um, over the last decade. That surplus um, means there are buffers um, that are being filled, assets which are being acquired, um, which can shield um, the Gulf against shocks that may come. But critically, it also means that the currency pegs are very well supported. And again, I think there's a real contrast with other parts of the developed and emerging world. Relations um, between the GCC and Asia, between the GCC and China uh, in particular, that relationship is based uh, on trade for a long time, um, bilateral trade. Well, it was primarily about lower lower tech um, areas of, of manufacturing. That is very much in decline. Instead, what we have is a pickup in medium and high-tech um, trade, particularly the, the quality of imports um, that the region is taking from China. And again, this is a trend that I expect to see continue as the region's economic needs um, expand. It's partly um, about trade, but with that trade relationship comes demand for services and increasingly um, will come demand for capital flows as well. And I can see a recognition at the very highest um, levels in government, both certainly in the region, but also uh, in China, a recognition of the importance of that economic relationship and the extent to which the region's two economic futures um, are tied um, together. That's my um, story for you. Um, I do think this is a regional story which stands out um, compared to pretty much anywhere else uh, in the world. It's certainly a regional story which I think will surpass the region's own recent economic history. It's a story which is broad-based, based on consumption and growing levels of investment spending. It's a growth story which is well-balanced, prices are contained, public finances are strong, and there is strong support for that currency peg as well. Critically, this is also a time when those structural changes are really beginning to reshape, to refashion the kind of economy um, that the Gulf as a whole, the UAE and Saudi in particular, uh, represents. There is already a strong basis um, for bilateral relations um, between the Gulf and China that you can see in trade numbers. But my strong, strong expectation is that not only does trade grow in its value, it grows in its sophistication, and with it come services and investment flows um, as well. With that, I will thank you once again for your time and pass back to Grace. Thanks for your very insightful update. So uh, now we move to panel discussion. 
So welcome my colleague Jenny as the moderator. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Simon. And um, so I take the opportunity uh, to invite the panel. So Simon, before we start, we have a question already for you. So what do you see uh, the oil price uh, towards the end of the year and uh, in the next uh, few years? The oil price is always volatile. My forecasts, um, I think, are quite conservative. Even when the oil price was in, in three digits, um, I had an oil price assumption of 80 dollars a barrel. Um, so really, that's oil trading a range of 70 to 90 dollars um, uh, a barrel um, over the rest of this year and and next year. The oil is still uh, is still key. Um, as I, I'm happy with that with that number, um, the 80 that I'm running with, and I would need to see oil prices fall below that level and stay below that level before I began to think rethink my economic story. Thank you very much. First question we'd like to ask Mo, uh, what do you think uh, UAE is such an interesting market for the clients at the moment uh, from doing business in UAE and investment perspective? Thank you, Denise. So um, I think we've heard a lot this morning, including from His Excellency and Stephen and Simon around a lot of the positive fundamentals that exist in the region and in the UAE specifically. And it's diversification, it's the energy transition, it's the real focus from a lawyer's point of view on enhancing the legislative framework, fancy phrase, but it simply means becoming more enabling for business to be conducted in the UAE from a legal perspective. We're seeing a lot of stability, a lot of uh, geopolitical stability, again, that your excellency you've mentioned, which is important to any investment environment. Uh, we're, we're also seeing a lot of diversification and renewables, as mentioned by, by Stephen. Uh, there's a real push domestically, but also an opportunity for investors to be part of that journey of diversification and through co-investments and, and so on. So it's, it's a lot of factors and it's in, in some ways a, a perfect storm, but a positive one, Denise. Thank you. Uh, how about uh, this question to, to Joe? What sectorial opportunity do you see for investors? The way Simon described the evolution from trade through services to capital flows. Uh, we're very much on that journey at the moment. To your question a little bit in terms of where are we seeing it, what sort of sectors? Um, this is where I think from a UAE and Chinese perspective, actually it's the most attractive. And what do I mean by that? What I'm referring to is a lot of the sectors where there is a real appetite to move that relationship from customer to client to co-investor are actually in spaces where China has been leading globally uh, for the last 10, 15, 20 years. And I'm referring there to a lot of infrastructure development. I'm referring there to also renewables, uh, utilities. And this is an opportunity where there is very much a welcome and desire from this region, as I see it, to learn, to benefit from that expertise, both in terms of skills as well as capital, because capital allocation always comes down to a view on risk, reward, and returns. And the opportunities that we've seen in terms of what Simon's gone through about the returns, the growth is very much there. How does one find the right risk-reward balance in the relationship? But sectorial-wise, oil and gas, energy, construction, transportation infrastructure. These are very much at the forefront of what the UAE is looking for, along with renewables. 
So now moving to uh, some discussion around uh, manufacturing and the free zone, and we see some trend. Uh, our customers was looking into having some investment, setting up the offices and the manufacturing here in the UAE, and some uh, looking into the free zone. The free zones were incepted many, many years ago, firstly in Dubai, but then in other Emirates. Uh, there are two broad categories of free zones, economic and financial. Most of the ones in the UAE are economic and are sector-driven, but we also have a couple of financial free zones. The DIFC and ADGM are the main ones. Dubai International Financial Center and Abu Dhabi Global Markets. And these really are leaders in terms of incepting financial zones with very advanced regulations, international standards and more with their own judicial system and um, you know, a lot of investments have gone into them. And these two financial free zones are actually very helpful from a deal structuring point of view as well. So we see a lot of our international clients at Clifford Chance invest through the DIFC, invest through ADGM. That has been a trend for the last five years. It'll be interesting to see if it carries on because the more the onshore in the UAE develops, in my view, the less the need is for some of these uh, free zones as we go along because it really is becoming open for business across the, the country. I will have my final question about ESG. And uh, as we know that we had very successful uh, COP27 in Shamashe, and we are having one here in November in UAE, COP28. And uh, from the corporate perspective, I would like John to answer this question. Let me try and paraphrase what is key to the way HSBC looks at the developments here of COP28 within the UAE in particular. For us as an institution, it, it is embedded as part of our DNA. It's what we want to ensure uh, transforms and enables the transition within the global economy. And the UAE sits really at the crossroads of being able to achieve that. Um, there will be, as we see it, unprecedented investment opportunity uh, in terms of climate transition and change that will not culminate at COP28, but I think the visibility and the opportunities in terms of a global understanding will come to the fore at COP28. And then we will see those opportunities genuinely come through, whether they be project opportunities, whether they be manufacturing opportunities, but also the investment and the capital flow uh, that comes through with that. So I think it's very important to, to bear in mind that the event itself is, is merely an opportunity for people to understand. The hard work almost starts after that when I think about opportunities for Chinese corporates as well as for um, people such as ourselves in the financial community. And fundamentally, the theme here is the transformation. It's about the diversification that we've already touched upon, both from a local perspective, but also from a global perspective as well, and how we will see um, the wealth that has been created from the current sources of global energy transfer and transform to new sources of global energy uh, for the future. The UAE, I genuinely believe, has the opportunity to reset the leadership agenda here. It has the the finances, the financial capability, the public finances has the ability to attract private capital as well to lead with GDP growth rates that are very supportive for the near term in contrast to some other economies globally. Uh, and that is very much as we see the UAE leading COP28. But I think it's important also to bear in mind that every COP is an opportunity to reassess and, and to really think around 
what has been achieved since the original agreement, since Paris, since others that have been put out there, so that we can assess how we are doing, how is the progress, where do we need uh, to develop further. And certainly that stock take will probably shed light on other areas that we don't see at the moment, but will be very important, and we very much want to play uh, a key role. The last comment that, that I would make is that the whole of, of ESG and every COP, there are multiple building blocks that really enable the success. And those building blocks include legal, they include financial, they include all of the corporates that have a social as well as a financial responsibility to ensure that we are able to transition as a global economy. And that transition is a journey that we believe as a financial supporter of corporates is very important that we go on with yourselves. It's not a conflict. It is very much an opportunity to work together for us to share best practices, uh, for you to share best practices, and to educate us in some instances on where opportunities are that we don't see. But this transition won't happen overnight. It is a journey that we need to be part of with yourselves, and I very much see COP28 as being yet another building block on that journey. And this one, I think, will really provide opportunities for investment into the region, which is why I'm particularly excited about the COP28 here in the UAE. Thank you so much. And uh, that's the end of the panel discussion. That's it for this episode. Subscribe to our channel, HSBC Business Edition Minat, to stay informed with the latest news and insights.